Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Hey everyone, welcome back to Chain Reaction. This is the launch of season two, and I'm excited to have Ryan Wyatt here to kick things off with me. And hi. for the yeah, hi Ryan, how's it going? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Jacqueline, you've got like a podcast voice, so I not you didn't have that before we started hitting the record button. So I feel like the stakes just got a lot <laughs> higher here. No, this is just this is how I talk, Ryan. Remember? I love it, right? Yeah. But for those out there, uh, Ryan and I know each other from past interviews and the occasional Twitter banter as you can probably already tell. But for those of you who don't know Ryan, I want to give you the introduction that he is now the president, formerly dubbed CEO of Polygon Labs, which is the home for all NFT, gaming, and metaverse projects that are on the Polygon protocol. Uh, Before Polygon, Ryan worked as the global head of gaming at YouTube, which to me seems like every teenage boy's dream, right, Ryan? Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Ryan, it's great to have you on. And thanks again for joining. How's it been? It's been good. It's been good. Yeah, we just had a we had a really fun big year despite kind of the craziness that, you know, crypto and web3 experienced. It's fun, you know, part of the shift from Polygon Studios to Polygon Labs is bringing all of our team and company under one roof, so I'm really excited to lead the entirety of our Polygon team and so it's just a lot going on like you know all too well never a dull moment. Super happy to be here chatting with you and excited for what 2023 holds for all of us. Yeah, and I'd I'd love to get into everything Polygon related because you guys have definitely been in the headlines recently. But before we get there, I'm curious, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your background. As I mentioned, you worked for YouTube before Polygon. And I'm curious if your role of scaling YouTube gaming has impacted or influenced your decisions when it comes to building up Polygon. And if so, how do you kind of carry those experiences into your career today? And what old practices from that traditional world are you not bringing into Web3? Yeah, there's a couple of good things in there. So basically, when I was in college, I was playing games competitively, like esports tournaments, was commentating esports tournaments, got really interested in this idea of this creator economy of people watching people play games, which at the time was really foreign. Most people would have said, oh my gosh, like nobody wants to watch people play games. They want to play them themselves. And that was kind of the general consensus amongst everyone. And so very early days, this is 2007 or whatever it is at the time, 2008. And so that evolved inevitably me actually going to YouTube and working at YouTube for almost eight years, starting the the gaming vertical in business. There's a lot of similarity and I loved it there. It was so much fun. That team went from zero people into a large organization that's generating billions of dollars of revenue for YouTube on the ad side and, you know, working with gaming creators and game developers across Google Play and Google Cloud, just like very, very fun, chock full of great learning experiences for me. And I actually think a lot of people, when I made the shift over into Polygon, were like, what? This is this is kind of a, a shocker. You know, you're going over in this space. But if you That's actually different. unpack it, there's a lot of similarities, right? Like, one, YouTube's this platform that all different verticals plug into, from gaming to lifestyle to beauty to vloggers and everything in between. Polygon is this platform where developers build all types of, from social media to games to, you know, big Fortune 500 companies. And so there was actually a lot of similarities. And then the one piece, ironically, that we didn't really touch in 2022 is the Web3 creator community, right? We focused on a lot of this other area and we can talk about that. And so this year I'm excited because I think the next 
thing that's really applicable from a, my past life that that hasn't been is basically uh, tapping into the actual PFP communities and the artist communities and these creators that that are building. And so I'm excited to see how some of that translates. It's not always one-to-one, but there's enough you can draw from. But at the end of the day, these like blockchain decentralized protocols, there's no playbook, right? Nobody's done it before. You can take things that might feel similar in nature, but you really are kind of traversing the wild, wild west and learning as you go and taking previous knowledge. And and sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. Right. And it seems like Polygon is building its own path here. You know, in 2022, as I mentioned before, we saw a lot about Polygon in the headlines and especially in the second half of the year. And even into 2023, we just started January and we're already hearing, you know, MasterCard announced plans to launch a Web3 incubator with Polygon. And last year, Polygon partnered with a number of big brands like Starbucks for its Odyssey digital collectible rewards program, Disney for its accelerator program, and also had major clothing brands like Prada and Adidas launch NFT projects on its network. So, you know, it's safe to say like Polygon's business development team definitely got their name out there with these partnerships. And for me personally, Polygon went from being just known as like a layer two scaling blockchain for Ethereum to its own thing. I guess my first question here in regards to all of that is how did Polygon accomplish all of that in such a short amount of time? And why did it decide to go that route for business development? Yeah, I don't, you know, uh, I almost had like anxiety hearing all of the partnerships. I'm like, man, we did a lot. We did do a lot of work. Um, that's how I feel covering it. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. And it's like, I think that's honestly, it's like a fraction of it, too. I think uh, there's a lot of things that kind of went into play here, right? One, I think, you know, we we brought in a lot of new folks, myself included, right? I started a year ago, right? I've been at Polygon a year now. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of came in, I brought some folks with Web2 background. You know, Mike Blanks, our CIO, he spent 20 years at EA. You know, Jennifer Catula was running marketing teams at Facebook. You know, we had Ron Shepard, who was from Unity. Like, we brought in, we brought in, like, Web2 people that were really Web3 curious. And my goal was to merge them with a existing group at Polygon that was what I would call Web3 native. There was just this opportunity for, like, a lot of people to learn from each other and develop different skill sets. And that, that didn't come easy. Like there was definitely um, cultural clashes and challenges that you face, like bringing those organizations together, Um, new guard and old guard. Like I won't lie, like we've definitely had to navigate how do you come together as like one unified team and help each other out. And there's a lot that's gone into that. But I think some of those like difficulties that the team faced and coming together, like actually built a really strong unified organization in the end that it's funny what you said that really stuck out to me is you're like, oh, the second half of the year, right? And that to me, I'm like, that's when you started to see like much more of the organization gelling and working together and firing on all cylinders and people identifying weeks and strengths. And so that played a big part. The other part was we kind of looked at the space, like PFP was really what was, was gaining a lot of traction, right? At the time And Solana and Ethereum pretty much just had that. So they were kind of the darlings of the conversation. And for me, my personal perspective was like, if this thing is going to be big, this Web3 and crypto, it's got to be bigger than just this. So where can we swim upstream and put our energy and time where there's a little bit more white space, if you will? And that's where Fortune 500 big enterprise kind of came into play because we were able to have a team that speaks that language and we were able to then leverage this great group of Web3 native folks of like how you do it authentically, how you do it right. 
And kind of bringing all that together gave us a really good look in all of these rooms. So when these big companies are speaking, they're already doing their due diligence, right? Like a lot of them have already made up a certain amount of decisions by the time they're even coming to the table, some more than others, but you know, they're big companies for a reason and they have their own thought process. So it was just great to to be able to get in the room and, and kind of talk through how they can find success in Web3 and hold their hand through that. So I think a lot of these things all culminated into us being able to, to knock some of these early ones out and then truly there's kind of like a force multiplier, right? Like there's the network effects that have kicked in when you look at all of these different protocols, it's very reasonable to be like, well, I'll go to the one that like Meta and Starbucks and Nike and Adidas and all of them are at, right? Because clearly those companies have done some due diligence. So as long as I connect with these teams and talk to them, that's that. And so then that's been more of the enterprise side, but then the gaming side, you know, there's grants and investments, right? It's a little bit more, they need like more like financial you know, supports, right? Because games are long. And so there's kind of like different methods for each category that need to be deployed in order to get them excited in building, if you will. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many big brands are getting into it now? You said they were thinking about it beforehand and you guys kind of came in, held their hands or perhaps helped bring them to the next step. But what's the big turning point you think for these brands? And also given everything that's transpired last year, with major catastrophic events. We don't have to name them, but you can. Do you think that'll kind of inhibit onboarding in the future? Okay, so two questions. I think first, in general, it's just good to always, when you work at like a big kind of tech company or a big brand, it's just good to always have some part of that company. I don't want to call it R&D might be too strong of a term, but like be forward looking and forward thinking, right? And so it doesn't, it's not a big lift in some of these instances. Starbucks is a big lift, you know, Nike's a big lift, but there's stuff where it's like, just get in, you know, Macy's did a fun like NFT launch with Sweet.io and stuff like that. You know, get in, learn, explore. It doesn't have to be all these big theatrics. I think it's a great learning experience. And as you know all too well, there's a steep learning curve. So I think there's just value in saying, I'm going to dabble in this and it's okay to just dabble as a big brand. Like be authentic, figure out what it takes to do that and so forth. Do you think everything that's happened last year will inhibit onboarding in the future? Yeah, it's certainly going to slow it down, right? (laughs) You know, the FTX thing, more than anything else, it just, it was a company that was presented to a lot of people as one of the very few credible crypto companies, and it couldn't have been further from, right? And so I think that's a tough reality and a segment in industry that, is already rife with issues and has holes and so forth. And that's okay, right? I I actually think at the end of the day, these are the things that have to kind of churn out in order for like the soil to be enriched. And I know that sounds crass, but it is a little bit of a reality. When you see these kind of new technology formats, the internet included, you see a lot of like bad actors, people that abuse it. And they're almost like those people are almost at the same speed as the entrepreneurs and the people that are trying to act good. And so from an outside perspective, the destruction in the in the malice that has happened from some of these folks always is going to speak 10 times louder than what the like entrepreneurial good faith efforts are. But those good faith efforts are what long term win out. And so I think you're just seeing this decade of the maturation of crypto play out. Like I, I think it's super unfortunate. Everything that's happened is hurt a lot of people. You know, you can't take that lightly. But on the other side of that, people learn 
They start to set regulation and rules in which to abide in. People know the framework in which to operate. Learning comes from that. Development comes from that. And I think we're going through an era where we'll be hyper-criticized, but I actually think that that's not a bad thing, like, to be honest with you. Like, I think it's a great opportunity for our space to, like, really rise above and, and establish ourselves and what what can happen in this world of decentralized apps building on blockchain protocols is pretty exciting. So you just, you have to take a long view on it in order to not be so emotionally tied to, you know, the ebb and flow of this space. I kind of have this decade point of view and nothing that happened in 2022 has changed that point of view in the slightest. It has certainly changed my point of view of how to navigate the next 18 to 36 months in order to stay the course of that decade point of view. But the end goal and where like the ship's got to go, it's still that dock and we still got to get there. I like that decade point of view. Where were you a decade ago? A decade ago, I was in high school. A decade ago, I was, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, like a year away from working at YouTube and running and starting the gaming business. Yeah. There you go. Look what can happen in 10 years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. People (laughs) underestimate that. You know, like I think it's what is like you overestimate uh, like what you could do in a year, underestimate what you can do in kind of a decade. And I think crypto is going to feel that in a really positive way. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about onboarding the masses and things like this will help to do that, I think. Uh, But still, crypto is pretty crypto focused in my eyes. Like when I talk about it to people who aren't in this space, they have no idea what I'm talking about most times. Correct. And sure, we have these big brands like Starbucks and Disney and sports teams like NBA diving into it. And that brings their consumers with them. But how do you think like mass adoption can truly be achieved here? And what's the speed for that? Like, what's the time frame? Yeah, I think really at the end of the day, consumers aren't going to care at all about like the infrastructure and the tech and the way that maybe you care about it or I care about it. Right. And that's like not their job. I'll give you an example. Like if you look at a gamer, gamer just wants to go in and play Fortnite, right? Like they don't care about all the things that Epic has done with the Unreal Engine to get it where it's at. They don't care that Fortnite is running on AWS or Google Cloud. They don't care who's providing the payment rails for Fortnite and Epic Store. Nobody cares (laughs) about that. They're just like, I want to play Fortnite. I want to buy some skins and that's it, right? And so where you have right now, the people in crypto are like, oh my gosh, like build on this protocol and transactions per second and like wallet and seed phrase and, you know, like custody and all these different things where it's just a lot of like- It's too term- much. Yeah. yeah, it's way too much. It's like a bunch of nonsense tech jargon. And so once that gets like abstracted away and you basically are like, I'm using Starbucks rewards and they have me doing- two challenges of like order an almond latte two weeks in a row, right? And I get a stamp, which happens to be an NFT, but I don't know that. I received a stamp. That stamp I can sell, I can trade it to you, I can redeem it and burn it as a physical experience, whatever it is, right? And all of somebody, just that person, it's like, well, that technically is a crypto user, right? But they don't know. They don't need to know, right? Like it's not their job. It's a product feature that allows you to get a stamp that's like verifiable on chain and that you can sell, trade, whatever you want to do with it. You can burn it and actually use it. And cool, you have that autonomy, but you're not talking about all of these different things. And so, yes, you will get some point of mass adoption on Web3. Like I don't think it's this, I don't think it's going to like upend all of what we call Web2. I think you have a subset of kind of these features that are on protocols, like decentralized protocols that people aren't talking about. And again, just like you don't know 
like if Netflix uses Google Cloud or AWS or anything like that, like, and you shouldn't never care about that, right? And so I kind of think we're in the infrastructure days right now, which are so not exciting to 99% of the people. Hence, when you're in a conversation with somebody, you talk about it, they don't give a shit. <laughs> they shouldn't, right? Like I try, right. like think about the conversations I'm in. I'm like, we're not going to even do this because I don't even know where to start with you, right? Um, and so right. my that's where I know where we're at is why I say a decade because this stuff shouldn't be on their mind. Let's build it, then make it really easy to go use and make it like, like the crypto stuff passive, then you get this crypto naive adoption pretty easily because the idea of what these protocols really stand for is this idea that in theory, you just, you ha- you own more, right? Like you have more like autonomy over digital ownership that is happening in the space. I think when you distill all of the noise away, it's hard for people to argue that they wouldn't want that. It's like, yeah, I spend a decent amount of money on digital goods. And sure, I, I want to hear about how I can own you know, have more true, genuine ownership over it. And then it's like, cool, that's all you need to know. You don't need to know. It's like what we do and how we do it is effectively just product features of what we're using. We might use some things that are on chain. We might use some things that are centralized databases, could be a hybrid. And you have this whole spectrum of decentralization, right? And things fall on different lines, like Bitcoin being like incredibly decentralized. And whether you believe in it or not as a storage of value of good is up to the people that want to participate in it, right? all the way to something like that Starbucks that might be light decentralization, if you will. So I know it's a long-winded answer, but I, I believe great consumer experiences is all that needs to be accomplished for mass adoption. And I don't think that's like some wild, unattainable thing that can happen. It seems very easy. It's just which protocols are going to do it. All right. all right. Ryan, what would you say is Polygon's big theme for 2023? And how does that product vision also being tied to Ethereum play into that? Yeah, I think on the first part, we talked a lot about how we think some things are going to like slow down in 2023. I think our strategy moves into what are things that are happening like natively in Web3 that are already like, yep, those things work. They have shown that they've worked. Like, let's lean into that stuff. You'll see us focus really on creator communities, PFP, art, so forth. We won't abandon. It's like, again, that that long-term goal exists. This idea that we'll continue to help Fortune 500 companies and enterprises, like definitely on board, we will. I think we'll just have a little more time and flexibility to focus on Web3 native projects because some of this stuff will slow down. So it's not really a huge strategy shift, but I think what it does is it opened up some free time. With that free time, we can now focus on the the native community and we're in a much better position than we were a year ago. Like more credible brand, way more on-ramps and marketplaces, more wallet support. And so it's much easier now to cultivate a creator community than it would have been a year ago. So that is a big one. And then product is going to be huge for us, right? Like we got to land, you know, our ZK tech stack, you know, that we spent a billion dollars in 2021 on three different ZK companies, brought them in-house. They've been working together collaboratively and on different projects, right? That's kind of been part of how they've been able to advance the tech is this mix of both collaboration, solving things in-house for their own problem sets and working together. That is existential. And by that, I mean, the Polygon protocol today is like sufficient for the environment that it is in today. But if you have this idea that this thing is going to 100x, 1000x as far as like users and TPS and so forth, Polygon's current protocol would not be. And in fact, all, all of them would be in a tough spot, right? And including Polygon. And so we're not actually in this place where the protocol is in a place where it can actually scale with rolling out kind of the ZK tech stack and actually making that a proper ZK roll up. That allows you to check off the box of, is this protocol capable of dealing with 
orders of magnitude more volume in users and transactions. So we have like a half check there, right? Because we're like, we have it in testnet. We know we can do it, but we haven't done it yet. We haven't rolled it out. It hasn't happened. And so I think we're like, oh, that we got to land that or else that's a big problem. So I think between those two, those are probably the big focuses in 2023 for Polygon. Okay. And one sentence. Can you just explain what ZK is for those who may not know? Yeah, basically Polygon <laughs> right now is a protocol. The easiest way to think of it is like we are effectively like a side chain for Ethereum. And so we checkpoint information back to Ethereum. What our ZK will be able to do is handle way more volume of transactions per second and directly checkpoint them onto Ethereum. So it's a basically a method that just allows us to scale. It's a type of cryptography that our team has been working on. And it's how we can like make basically upgrade our our protocol, if you will, in layman's terms. I guess it wasn't fair for me to tell you to say that in one sentence. One, one sentence? I don't, <laughs> I'm not, sa- yeah. I'm not savvy or technical enough on it to give you one That's sentence, fine. you know? No, like, I feel I like when you really it, know yeah. something so inside and out, you can provide one sentence. I know it well enough to do it in like two or three. No, that was good. That was yeah. good. All right. Uh, Let's dive into gaming and NFTs. Yes. I would love to hear what your outlook is for the future of both and the potential for things to grow in the current market we have and on Polygon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So a couple things. One, we're showing up big at GDC in March. We're going to have a big booth and everything. It's going to be fun. The games aren't these like revolutionary, you know, like AAA polished games that are going to change the world. But there are some cool stuff where people will be like, show me real use cases that will be fun to share with like game developers. One of it is like what Midnight Society has been doing with like memberships and access and how they're rolling updates to the game. And the only part that they've really made NFTs are these like membership passes, which has been really cool and the stuff that they're doing there. You've got um, Pirate Nation. It's the ex-lead of Farmville. He has, I think the company's called Proof of Play, but the game is called Pirate Nation. Super fun. Everything that you do is on chain, like all, and it's on Polygon, but all the things, like when you go do a quest, when you forge, when you like build something, it all is like each one of those things are verified on chain. So the whole thing is built. And so like, there's cool things that you can, it's rudimentary still, right? Like it's a basic, in theory, it's very similar to like, it's a pirate version of Farmville and it's in a lot of similar ways, but like how they're starting to think about what can you do when all this stuff is on, you know, transacting? You can put these items that you earned up in marketplaces and sell them. People remember Farmville from back in the day. You get like peaches. They'd be like rare. You can do stuff with them. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool. Like, um, I think it's going to continue to take time to develop. And I think people are going to keep, you know, nibbling in it and doing fun stuff. I do still believe like the fun thing about gaming and Web3 is passionate communities can get these projects going. Like you don't need to always be the, like where the gaming is going is with these mergers and acquisitions with big games being like as a service basically offered to you and having seasons and all this stuff. You kind of have seen this like monopoly of a handful of IPs at the top of gaming, despite having billions of gamers in the world. And so I actually think some of this stuff were passionate gamers. It might be like very fragmented, smaller communities, but they'll be able to be like active participants in them and like continue to run them. And so I think there's, it's going to take time though. Like good games take a long time to be made. And so when you start to see those ones that break through, I think it's still like we're a couple of years away, but this should be the year in most likely closer to the second half of the year where there's stuff that's not like V1 Web3 games, which was like play to earn a lot of like Ponzi-nomic rudimentary games 
that gave a bad rap, but started to show maybe some like, okay, there might be something there around digital ownership, but this is like, this is not okay, right? Um, I think now you're starting to see some of the like V2 projects, if you will. And my guess is there will be a lot of game developers where if they didn't get kind of red-pilled or like it didn't flick for them, them, they'll start to get it, you know, a little bit more with this next iteration of it. But gaming, you really have to look at out of all of these verticals, the most over a three to five year time frame, because it's just development cycles are pretty long. Yeah. Someone recently compared it kind of to the mobile gaming industry and early on how like triple A gaming studios didn't want to get into this at the time. And then these like independent studios would pop up and like things like Flappy Bird and other yeah, and they made a ton of money. Random games <laughs> yeah. made a ton of money. Yeah. yeah. And then they got into it. And like when you think about Flappy Bird, it was just like tapping the screen. It was so simple. And like yep. there are crypto games out there today that are that elementary level, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's the same kind of like disgust, you know, that some of us well, I'd say actually that's not like totally fair. There's a lot of AAA publishers that are No, there pre- are good ones. Yeah. Yeah, pretty smart. Sure. And they also see kind of this and like are not. They're not ignoring it. Um, they're figuring out how in the most appropriate way, if and when they should enter it. So, um, and then there are some that obviously have outright ignored it or been vocal about it. But I do think there's a lot of eerie similarities there. I, I think the one thing that's a little different is in the mobile era, they had a little bit more of a leg up than Web3 in the sense that everyone had these like new phones, like hardware, and they're like, what do I do with it? Right. And so, okay, I'll install this you know, this basic game where I'm just like holding my finger and getting a bird to like go in between pipes, you know? So I think there's still more work to be done about the point of entry into this stuff. So discoverability of these apps and games and stuff will be really important because you want to have that same kind of faucet that mobiles, like phones provided for the the start of the mobile game era. Mm -hmm. In general, we kind of talked about the need for real world use cases in crypto. And we talked about adoption earlier, but what are the utilities you expect to see expanding? And what are some of the ones that don't exist today that you think will come forward in the coming 12 months to a couple of years? Totally. Like even with crypto, people are like, ask the use case thing. I was like, well, can we just agree that there is like already, and I don't even really care about the money crypto side. It's not my area of expertise or interest, but like what people are doing in certain countries with it as a, like a monetary asset is already like, it exists right today. So now it is moving on to what the next thing is. I actually don't think the thesis has changed if we talked too much a year ago. I think loyalty and rewards allows for like deeper engagement with individuals on chain because if you look at, again, Starbucks and what's happening there, I think that is a real use case that actually evolves a big industry, which is like rewards and loyalty. Um, Hence why the best company in the business that's ever done it, Starbucks, is exploring it. And like, there's going to be cool stuff they can do. With that stuff on chain, I think other brands can enter in a really interesting way of like knowing users in a whole different way of uh, of random things too. Like you could even do something at Whole Foods and be like, oh, I know that, you know, Jacqueline likes all these almond lattes based off of what's in her wallet. I'll give her a 20% discount to buy this almond milk because, you know, I want to try to get a user acquisition of her or something, right? There's going to be a bunch of like on-chain information that helps people have better user experiences in general. Like I fully believe that loyalty and rewards I'm big on it. I still won't ever, like gaming is a no-brainer to me, is still. 
this idea that you're going to keep spending more money. I play Valorant. It's like one of my favorite games and Riot games. I play it like all the time. Um, and I just dropped $100 for like a bunch of new skins because it's a new season. They just dropped a new skins pack, right? And it was like 65 bucks. And that's 65 bucks out that I'll never get back. I bought those skins. I'll never get that back. I'll, I'll look cool in games. I'll still suck at it, but I'll never get that money back. And so this idea of lending and owning and all this stuff as if it was like my own hat that I can do whatever I want with it, I, I think will continue to exist. And then, yeah, DeFi, I think, is like now a no-brainer. As you see in light of a lot of these, you know, issues that have been happening of uh, not not your keys, not your, your money kind of idea. So yeah, I think DeFi will have its moment. So for me, like, all of this nonsense that happened in 2022 that has disrupted the space, it's the same mission for like what Web3 is and tech crypto, if you will, is literally unchanged as far as kind of where there's use cases, where areas of interest are. And we just got to keep digging into it more. It's still very early days. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you said the word mission, because to wrap it up, my final question for you, Ryan, is when you think of Polygon and everything that it entails, what is your biggest hope for it in regards to what it becomes known for over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I love that. I love this question. It's actually really simple. You know, we at the end of the day are a contributing team to a decentralized protocol and a world where this thing sets out into sale and it's operating autonomously and independent because it has all of the builders on the ecosystem. It has all these developers. It has all the on-ramps and Anybody can just pick up and start building on it and just be this really independent, fully decentralized protocol will be so cool because nothing like that has ever existed in the world. And I can't wait to see what that looks like. And I think the day that I don't need to help Polygon as a protocol anymore uh, because all of these things have happened will be like the happiest day uh, ever. So I'm very excited for that future state. And I think it is in a five to 10 year kind of future state, to be honest with you. Oh, maybe we could have this conversation again in five to 10 years. Yes, yes. I look forward to that. (laughs) Yeah, great. Well, thanks again. That was Ryan Wyatt, president of Polygon Labs. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on Chain Reaction. And thanks to everyone for listening in. Thank you. We'll be back every other week with interviews with top players in the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Thursdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes and be sure to follow us at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself and produced by Yashad Kulkarni and Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. See you next time.